Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Here we go again. Daniel chapter 10. We're studying the Word of God together, the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 10. If this is your first time among us, we like to take a book of the Bible and just study verse by verse, line by line. We've been in Daniel chapter 10 since back in February. We're coming up, getting close to the end. As we get going today, guys, I just need to share something. I don't share this very often, but I had a very difficult childhood. I was deeply deprived. My mother deprived me of many things. For one thing, she deprived me from this movie. I didn't get to see Star Wars, any of them. I had a terrible mother, (laughs) terrible. She deprived me of so many ways. There was something about the dark side. She just was uncomfortable letting her children see this movie. Because, you know, there's the dark side and, you know, maybe she was afraid they would turn to the dark side. So I actually had to wait until I was a full-grown adult to watch it with my children. (laughs) And we watched all of them and think nobody turned to the dark side in our family. Now don't misunderstand, there's a dark side within us all. Because we all need Jesus, redemption, because the darkness within us, that sinful nature, yes, it's true, we can all turn to the dark side, but instead we all turn to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't misunderstand, there is darkness in us all, and there is darkness in our world, there's darkness in the universe. And I'm sharing this today because while this is only a movie, I want to talk today about the real life Star Wars. There really is a Star Wars going on. In the cosmos. I don't mean between the Jedi Knights and the Sith Lords. No, I don't mean that at all. I mean between the angels of light and the angels of darkness. In fact, what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 10 is it reveals the heavens are a great angelic battlefield. It's a remarkable chapter that we're about to study. I said last week the prophecy of Daniel 9.27 might be the most amazing prophecy in all of Scripture. I think maybe Daniel 10 might be one of the most amazing chapters in all of Scriptures. We get just a little glimpse in the unseen realm. What happens when you pray? And sometimes it feels like you pray and pray and pray. And nothing is happening and God isn't moving. But in this chapter we get to see a little glimpse into the invisible realm. All we see is the visible, but there is the invisible. We live in the realm of the seen, but do you understand? The unseen realm is just as much of a reality, and what we're going to see is the cosmos are indeed a great angelic battlefield. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6, 12, a very famous verse in the Bible, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or the physical but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Now, when you see him use this phrase, heavenly places, don't think of heaven as in the dwelling place of God. Did you know there's actually three heavens? The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 said he'd been caught up to the third heaven as in the dwelling place of God. Now, if the apostle Paul had been caught up to the third heaven, then logic says there must be a first heaven and a second heaven. Did you know Psalm 148 breaks down the three heavens for us? You have the earth in its atmosphere called the first heaven. You have the cosmos, what we call the universe or maybe the sun, the moon, the stars. We, we call that the second heaven. And then you have the dwelling place of God, which is the third heaven. Now remember when the anointed cherub, Ezekiel 28, 14, rebelled against God and became the one we know as Satan. What did he say? Isaiah 14 and verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So what happens? Lucifer assaults the throne of God in the third heaven, where he's cast out now into the second heaven, which is why Paul says there are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 2 calls Satan the prince of the power of the air because it's from up there that he plants his assault down here. This is what I want you to understand. There really is life out there. I mean, this seems to be what Modern men are mesmerized with, did you know that our government spends billions of dollars and has for years and years and years searching for intelligent life in the universe? Not only that, there are privately funded organizations like SETI. It stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, where wealthy Americans have contributed billions of dollars since 1984 in the search for extraterrestrial intelligent life forms in the universe. There is intelligent life up there. Now, it's not this type of intelligent life. Yeah, you can see I snuck away from my mom. I watched this one. Yes, I did. E.T., most people, when they think about intelligent life in the universe, this is what they're thinking about. Little green men, you know, E.T., phone home. And what's amazing is even kids today are watching E.T. Man, I, I heard a young couple, there was a couple of teenage girls recently talking, and one of them said to the other, I wish I'd have lived in the 80s. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. I looked at it and said, I lived in the 80s. <laughs> they thought I was so cool then. Thought I was so awesome. 80s was awesome. It was 80s movie, E.T., extraterrestrial. Most people think, when they think about extraterrestrial life, it's about this. But understand, it's not like this, but it is angelic. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And today, we're going to see what happens when we pray and how, in fact, it interacts with this angelic battlefield in the heavenlies. Prayer, you see, does more than prepare you for the battle. Prayer is the battle. And this is what we're going to learn from Daniel today. He's going to spend 21 days in prayer. And do you understand, prayer is more than simply what prepares you for the battle. Remember Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. The implication is that every single day we are wrestling with the demonic. We are wrestling with satanic opposition. And we need to learn that prayer is not what simply prepares us for the battle. Prayer is the battle. The battle is won or lost in prayer. And we're going to see it today in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. If you're ready for this, say yes. All right, here we go. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel 
whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the message was true. Now we know it's 536 BC, the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. It's the Persian kingdom. The Persian monarch is a man in history known as Cyrus. He says, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks, 21 days. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. You have Daniel. He's now in his 80s. He's lived most of his life in Babylonian captivity. And for three whole weeks, he is in prayer and fasting. In fact, this is for three weeks, I did not even anoint myself. He is so intensely engaged in intergalactic warfare through prayer, he doesn't even take a bath. He is fasting and praying for three weeks, for 21 days. Now we know why he was mourning. There's a couple of reasons he was in a a place of mourning. Imagine being entrusted with all the visions of the future that God gave this man. I mean, he could see the time of the end, 2,500 years into the future. He could see the condition of human civilization in the last seven years, what the Bible calls the years of tribulation, shortly before the second coming of Christ. It was a lot to be entrusted. With and, and, and he's mourning when he looks into the future that God shows him. But not only that, we know it's the third year of Cyrus. It's 536 B.C. This is the year that the 70-year captivity ended. And it's this Persian monarch, Cyrus, that makes a decree that allows the Jews to leave Babylon finally and go back to Judah and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their cities. They are finally free. Only with this decree that Daniel has dreamed about all of his life, he realizes nobody wants to go. I mean, what is the matter with you people? You know, we're free, we can go home. And it seems like everybody wants to stay. See, what had happened in 70 years is the people of God had lived so long in Babylon that Babylon now lived in them. See, it's a lot like the modern condition of the people of God in our day. Do you understand God has put us in the world to change the world, but too much of the time the world gets in us and changes us. See, we are in this world, but we're not called to be of this world. We can't help but to live in Babylon, but we cannot allow Babylon to live in us. And that's what's happened after 70 years in this Babylonian city. Now too many of God's people actually kind of like where they are. We don't need to leave. And that's why we're praying for revival, that a move of the Spirit of God would come and awaken the body of Christ, not just our church, but beyond the walls of our church, that in our day we could see a heaven sent revival. And this is what Daniel is now praying for. He's praying for a move of God. He's praying that somehow God would awaken the people of God. And for 21 days straight, he prays. I want you to see something here. It's through prayer and fasting that you become a danger to the enemy. Here you have this frail elderly man named Daniel. I will promise looking at him physically, he did not look like a danger to anybody. Oh, he's in a state of frailty. He's elderly. But do you understand? Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a different kind of warfare. It's a different kind of battle. We are wrestling with an unseen enemy, though an enemy that is just as real as any enemy you can see, principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. And I will promise you, Daniel, though he did not look like a threat to anybody physically, he is a danger to the enemy. 
This man is full of power and kingdom authority, and you had better believe he is a threat to Satan and his kingdom. He is a danger to the enemy. And do you understand, as a child of God that's been bought with the blood of the Son of God and filled with the Spirit of God, you too are called to be the end of the spear spiritually. Do you understand that God has called you for such a time as this and that you are a threat to the enemy? You're called to be a danger to the adversary. And when you realize who you really are and your true identity, I will promise you're not scared of Satan. No, he's scared of you. He knows what you can do. And Daniel is the end of the spear in prayer. I mean, he is engaged now in intergalactic warfare, and we get just a little glimpse into the heavenlies in the unseen realm of what happens when people pray. And this is why we're praying together as a church body, leading up to our revival in August. 2,500 people have already opted in. Now, what we're doing is a 40-day prayer. 40 days of prayer leading up to a revival. Now, if you'll text today, it's not too late to get in on this. Text REVIVAL to 68618. Imagine 2,500 people as of last week had opted in, which means every single day you're going to get a prayer prompt and you're going to get a little devotion, a little thing to go look at in the Bible, a Bible verse, and, and we're all going to pray in exactly the same way on exactly the same day. Can you imagine what God is going to do when the people of God together begin to pray in unity. I will promise a people in unity is a real threat now to the adversary. This is what Daniel's doing. He's praying. He's praying for a move of God. For 21 days straight, he began to pray. Now look what it says in verse four. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, we don't have to wonder who this person is. It is exactly the same description here as the one John gives in Revelation chapter 1. This is the unveiled glory and majesty of the second person of the deity, the second person of the trinity. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus himself has now come to Daniel. And this is the image in our mind's eye. We need to have of Jesus. See, most of the time we picture Jesus as the suffering servant hanging helplessly on the cross. He's bloodied, he's bruised, and he is hanging there helplessly. And I want to remind you of something, because most of the time we have in the wrong mindset and what we see in our mind's eye when we picture Jesus. Jesus is no longer on the cross. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, and I want you to understand, he is the shining monarch of might and majesty. He is the king of the heavens, the king of the universe. He's alive and exercising power and authority as king of kings and lord of lords. And he's never one time been on the ropes, like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. No, no, understand, he's never ever been in retreat. He's never been on the ropes in this war for the world, this battle for a throne. He knows exactly what's gonna happen. He knows exactly what he's gonna do. And now Jesus, in all of his unveiled glory and majesty, comes to Daniel personally. 
Now look what happens next in verse seven. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Now there's a principle here, don't miss it. You can be very near to God and still miss him. Daniel has met with God. He has seen Jesus. He's gonna hear from God. These other men, they didn't know for sure what happened, but they didn't see him. They were so close and yet so far. Listen, there are two kinds of people under the sound of my voice, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're worshiping from, maybe right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium, there are those who get it and those who don't. This is why two people can go to the same service, hear the same sermon, sing exactly the same songs. One meets with God, one hears from God and is changed by God. But the other one, same service, same song, same sermon, they leave unchanged. They didn't hear from God, they didn't really worship God, and it has nothing to do with the sermon or the surface. It has everything to do with the posture of your heart. First Peter 5 5, God resists the proud, but get gives grace to the humble, and we're going to see why Jesus came and met with Daniel, because he had a heart that was humble before God. See, we live in a time of proud hearts. I mean, modern man is incredibly arrogant and proud. Right, there's the problem. You'll never, ever meet God. You'll never, ever know God. You'll never hear from God if you got a proud heart. Daniel had a humble heart. These men we're so close, and yet so far. Now Daniel's left alone. Now look what happens next in verse eight. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. You ever heard somebody say, man, God just blew me away? This is what just happened to Daniel. Jesus shows up and he passes out. You never have to wonder what you're gonna do the first time you meet Jesus face to face. And you know, one day you're gonna see Jesus face to face. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this. One day we're gonna see Jesus face to face in the literal manifest presence of God. Can you imagine? There was a song that came out years ago, Casting Crowns. I can only imagine... I can only imagine. I'm not gonna sing it, forget it, forget it. I'm gonna spare you. You know, the, 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 the lyrics, I, you know, what, will I dance for you, Jesus? Will I in awe of you be still? Listen, you don't have to imagine about a thing because every time in the Bible anyone gets in the presence of God, guess what happens? Boom! <laughs> Face first, passed out. Yeah, the first time you meet Jesus, boom! Now, he's not gonna leave you there. He, he loves you, all right? He's gonna pick you up. But you don't have to imagine. No, you're not gonna dance for Jesus, not initially. Now, eventually, unless you're a Baptist, you'll just sit there. <laughs> won't even clap. Definitely won't raise your hands. Don't wanna get too charismatic here. <sighs> yeah, you know who you are. <laughs> no, I know, but, but this, I, we're, we're always face first. And then there's going to be the singing, then there's going to be the dancing, and then the party's going to begin. All right? I promise. We're going to have a party. 
Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them who love him. Wow, it's going to be out of this world. Literally. Yeah. Why don't you see he passes out? Face first. By the way, every time anyone in the Bible gets in the presence of God, they pass out face first. They never fall back. They always fall forward. Think about that for a minute. All right, verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Now somebody else comes now. This isn't Jesus. It's going to be an angel. All of a sudden he's waking up from being passed out. He's on his hands and knees. Now look what happens here. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God 21 days ago, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. This angel comes to him now, and he says, Daniel, I started coming 21 days ago from the moment you started to pray. But look what happens. He's going to tell Daniel, I would have been here on day one. I started coming on day one, but I got intercepted somewhere in the heavens and accosted and held hostage. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. At this time in history, it was the kingdom of Persia that was the earthly kingdom that was the superpower on earth. Yet this angel says there is a spiritual prince that pulling the strings of the physical prince, and apparently he was a more powerful angel than this messenger angel says, I got held hostage there for 21 days with the kings, plural, of Persia. What are we talking about here? Principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me do it like this. Yeah, mind-boggling, mind-blowing. It's Ephesians 6, 12, we get to see it in action. We get to see a little window, a little glimpse into what happens when we pray. When you pray, you enter into intergalactic warfare, literally in the heavenlies as the angelic army of Satan and the angelic army of God battle for control of the nations and the kingdoms on the earth. Look at what it says. Now listen carefully. We have come now. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come. I want you to see maybe four things today about the angelic. What is it about the angelic that we can learn here from this passage? This is an age where everybody seems to be focused on the paranormal. I mean, it's in pop culture, it's in the sitcoms, and the TV series, and the movies. I mean, one of the biggest blockbusters is Stranger Things. I mean, everybody's focused right now. In my day, I'm going back to X-Files. Anyone? No, we get the real life Star Wars. Everything else is make-believe. Everything else is a movie. It's a TV show. But we're seeing the reality of the unseen realm. I want you to see what we learn from this passage. First of all, angels are always described in the Bible as male. We need to get out of our mind's eye. All the Hollywood shows, touched by an angel. Boy, we're going back a ways now there too, aren't we? 
you know, all the pop culture, all the art. Uh, in Missouri, you might be watching from hundreds of miles away, but in Missouri, if you've ever come back from vacation somewhere in southern Missouri and you're really, really, really bored, there's a place in Carthage, Missouri, called the Precious Moments Museum. Yeah, if you're really bored. We did this once. You can see how bored we were. And you too could get a Precious Moments little figurine. Now, this isn't mine. I didn't buy this. I borrowed this. But isn't she cute? I mean, really, in our mind's eye, this is what most people think of when they think of angels. I mean, cute little halo and these little wings. And she certainly doesn't look scary. And she's almost always a girl angel, even in the Bible, it's always male angels. Or maybe non-binary, not sure. Well, I'm just saying. But in the Bible, angels are always male. Always. Uh, we're reading the Bible. We're biblically correct. We're not politically correct. And in the Bible, angels are always male. And that's going to come in really important when we study Genesis 6. If you watch the video lesson I'm about to release tomorrow, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. You want to know what's going to be like right before Jesus comes again? Go back and study. Jesus said, the days of Noah, and Genesis chapter 6 tells us, the sons of God took on themselves the daughters of men. It was never the daughters of God that took on themselves the sons of men. There's a reason for that. You'll have to watch that lesson tomorrow. It's not Sunday morning approved. Some things we just have to do in a video. But it's the truth. You want to see the unseen realm? Look no farther than God's word. God has given us his word to reveal himself, not to hide himself. And we need to learn to look at the world through our spiritual eyes, not just our physical eyes. And that's what Daniel's now helping us do. Angels can take on human form and appear as human beings with a fully functional human body. You can see this in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. Don't look it up right now, later this afternoon, as God sends two angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy those two ancient wicked cities. Genesis 18, they first come to Abraham, he kills the fatted calf, and together they have a feast. I want you to notice these angels appear as men with fully functional male bodies able to eat and digest food. Genesis 19, they go down to Lot's house to get Lot out of town before judgment comes down and the wicked men of that town surround Lot's house and want Lot to send those two men out. They don't know they're angels. They saw what they thought was two men and they want them to come outside to meet them. And I will promise what they had on their mind was not to start a campfire and smoke marshmallows together. These angels had bodies capable of biological functions. And we can see this in Hebrews 13 too. It says, do not forget to entertain strangers or show hospitality or generosity to strangers for in so doing, unwittingly, some have entertained angels unwittingly. Meaning, you might have met a stranger and let's say uh, you, you, you showed them hospitality. And what he's saying is, listen, some have unwittingly, unknowingly actually entertained an angel. You thought you were interacting with a human being, but it's actually an angel that took on the form of a human being. 
I, I'm convinced to this day, this happened to me. If you read my first book, I wrote about it in Defeating the Enemy. It was the 90s. I'm a member of KCPD. I have the sense God's calling me into the ministry. It's a very pivotal time of my life when I'm really praying and fasting for God's direction and God's call upon my life. I have this off-duty job at the time uh, at the Marriott in downtown Kansas City. It was a great off-duty job. I could just sit there in the lobby of the Marriott, not really have to do anything and get paid for just kind of, you know, being a presence there, security. So it gives me lots and lots of time to just sit and think and pray. And I'm praying one night in the Marriott lobby, sitting on a couch. I'm praying with my eyes open, don't worry, because I'm providing security. But I'm really, really thinking, really praying about the future of my life and God's call upon my life. And somewhere along the way, this guy walks up, sits down at the other end of the couch. I remember at the time thinking to myself, he looks familiar. Like I, I feel like I've seen him somewhere before. And he immediately puts his head in his hands. He does this. And then he looks up, he looks at me, and he says, do you know the purpose of life? To which I said, no. <laughs> to which he said, it's to know God and make God known. Then he stands up, immediately walks off, turns the corner, and disappears around the corner. Something leaps inside of me. I stand up. I'm like, I got to go find this guy. I need to talk to him. Who is he? I turn the corner thinking I'm going to see him. I'm going to catch up to him so I can talk to him. It's a long, long corridor. No doors on either side of the hall. There is nowhere he could have gone, and he had completely disappeared into thin air. And I'm convinced one day I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to meet that man that God sent. Like God sent one to Daniel, there's no telling how many times God has sent an angel to you. You just didn't know it at the time. Now what else do we learn here? First of all, we learn that uh, God dispatches his angels to assist us while Satan dispatches his angels to afflict us. Watch that. That lesson tomorrow, it's going to be in our sermon series in Daniel. It's going to be embedded in there. It's called The Return of the Gods. If you want to take this deeper, go even farther. But basically, what are angels? Angels are, are there to assist us or afflict us. Depends on who they're working for. Uh, they are ministering angels. They are messenger angels. That's the purpose of angels. Hebrews 1.14, are they angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so God, just like he dispatched this angel to minister to Daniel, there are times in your life that God will dispatch an angel to minister to you. You may or may not actually know it at the time, but that is the purpose of angels. Now, it's not just God's angels, it's Satan's too. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It's the Apostle Paul who wrote this, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So there are times angels are dispatched to either afflict us, tempt us, oppose us, or an angel of God is sent to assist us, perhaps protect us, and fight for us. Uh, number three is this. There is a chain of command of varying levels of rank, power, and authority among the angels. You need to understand that everything God has done in his universe, he has ordered through a chain of command. 
There is a hierarchy of authority for everything God has done in his universe. Now, human beings like to jump the chain of command. Oh, no, I, I, I'm not going to listen to him. No, 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 you may think you are. But the reality is, as mortals, it is mandated we will all live under spiritual authority. You will have a spiritual master. It will either be Jesus or it will be Satan. You choose your king, you choose your kingdom. And I want you to see how the angels have descending powers of authority. There's a chain of command among the angelic realm and they don't break rank. They cannot break rank. Colossians 1.16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, and here it is, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. You have that descending chain of command. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. What happened in Daniel 10 is a lesser angel on the way to minister to Daniel got intercepted by a more powerful angel, the prince of Persia, and that is why he needed Michael, the archangel, to come and help him break free from this hostage situation he was in somewhere in the heavenlies. Uh, you can see this, for example, in Jude 9. It says, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even though Michael, we're told, is the archangel of the heavenly host, he still recognized that Satan has a higher rank and higher authority than even him. Why? Because we learn in Ezekiel 28, 14, that before he became Satan, the one we know as the accuser of the brethren, the one we know as the ruler of darkness of this age, he was once, Ezekiel 28, 14, the anointed cherub. That word in the Hebrew is the word Messiah. He was the messianic cherub. That title carries power and authority. He was once the most powerful of the angelic host, and he still retains that rank even in his fallen condition. So what did Yab Michael doing? He he doesn't oppose him on his own authority. And city says, the Lord rebuke you. And you need to understand that when you pray as a child of God, you carry kingdom authority. As a child of God, you've been born again by the blood of the Son of God, which means you've been redeemed from sin's penalty, which means you're no longer under satanic authority. You have a new master, you have a new king, and you carry the most powerful name in the universe with you, the name of Jesus, Philippians chapter two, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you understand that every demon and the universe bows down? Down to the name of Jesus, which means as a child of God, you do not need to be fearful of the adversary. In fact, he's fearful of you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, behold, I give you power and authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You see, Jesus has been given all power and authority in heaven and upon earth, Matthew 28, verse 19. And do you understand he's now delegated that authority to you and me as the redeemed of God? So what do you do? You do what Michael does, the Lord rebuke you. There's not one among us powerful enough to stand against any demonic principality or power. It's the Lord rebuke you. Now, number four, an organized army of angels, both good and evil, are assigned to specific nations, regions, places, and people. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. What is a principality? Think of a municipality. A municipality is a city. A principality is a region somewhere in the world. A principality is a region of the world that is ruled by a demonic prince. And you can see this in this chapter so clearly. So the angel has delivered the message. He's about to go back to the third heaven. Look at what he says in verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. He's like, now I'm going to have to go back and fight him again. But then look what he says. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Now here's what's amazing to me. It is 200 years before Alexander the Great will conquer the known world. It is 200 years before the kingdom of Greece will be the world superpower. Yet 200 years ahead of time, Satan is already preparing a spiritual prince, a demonic principality to reign over that earthly kingdom. And you begin to see why our world is in the state of confusion and chaos that it is today. The kingdom of Persia is today the kingdom of Iran. And when you look at that piece of real estate on the map, I guarantee it is still ruled by the same demonic principality that was ruling in the days of the Persian Empire. Today it's simply called Iran. You ever wondered why Iran hates Israel so desperately and has vowed that they will one day destroy Israel? Iran hates the Jews. Can I tell you why? Because there is a demonic prince that is still reigning over that region of the world and Satan hates the Jews and wants to destroy the Jews. And everything happening in our world today is but a physical shadow of spiritual realities. You can see this again in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 21. As he ends this chapter, he's about to go back into heaven. What's he say? But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. And I'm telling you today what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And at that time, Michael, Daniel 12, 1, shall stand up. At what time? During the tribulation, the seven years tribulation, what Jeremiah calls the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob being Israel. Michael will stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, meaning the Jews, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. The implication is Michael is the heavenly prince, the angelic power and principality that stands guard over Israel. Did you know that when you look in Revelation chapter 7, every single church has an angel assigned to it? Do you think for a moment that we We are the exception, that you're the exemption. No, the implication is that there is an angel, both good and evil, assigned to nations and regions and cities and communities, even neighborhoods, even churches, and individual people. And the angels of God are fighting for us. The angels of Satan are fighting against us. Yes, you have an angel, undoubtedly, as a child of God. both good and evil, assigned to you if you're a threat to the enemy, to oppose you. But don't be fearful, because there are angels fighting for you, not just against you. See, we can live fearless. 
We can live absolutely fearless. Because as the redeemed of God, under the blood of the Son of God, Satan has no jurisdiction over my life. And the demonic must ask permission of a sovereign God. God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet the apostle Paul for Paul's good. That's what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There are times God will allow the demonic to oppress you, to oppose you, but ultimately for your good. Otherwise, they can't touch you. You're under the blood of the resurrected Son of God that has broken the yoke of Satan. I want to share three things very quickly as we enter into a time of prayer and we're going through a 40-day of focused prayer, how to enter into warfare prayer, and this is what we're doing. Prayer is the battle. I want you to remember three things. Number one is this. When you pray, invoke the highest name and the highest authority in the universe, the name of Jesus. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in his name. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. We're never ever taught in scripture to pray to saints. We're never taught to pray to angels. We're taught to pray to the Father through the Son. There's a reason why. Because Jesus is our mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is our only intercessor. He is our mediator. And his name carries authority as a child of God when we invoke the name of the Son of God. There, there is, there's one person who gets to come into my house unannounced. There's one person who gets to open the door of my home without asking permission. If you come to my house, knock on the door, please. Just saying. Now, I'll be happy to see you. I'll let you come in, but please knock first. But there's one person who don't have to. His name is Josh. And more importantly, his last name is Hopper. That's right, he's my son. Because he's my son, he carries my name, he has the authority to come and go. Do you understand, as a child of God, as a son of God, a daughter of God, you carry the name that is above every name that is named. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. You enter into intergalactic warfare when you do the real life Star Wars, number two. Remember, there is value in the volume of prayer. Imagine what would have happened had Daniel given up after day three. Yeah, God's not listening. Had Daniel given up after day 10, God must not be there. Day 15, God doesn't care. See, it didn't work. I knew it didn't work. No, there's value in the volume of prayer. He prayed for 21 days. Imagine what would have happened had he given up too soon. He prayed for 21 days straight. The problem is for some of us, we can't pray for 21 minutes, much less 21 days. He prayed for three weeks. We quit after three minutes. Well, God, God must not be there. There's value in the volume of prayer. Imagine the power of 2,500 people all praying on the same day in the same way. There's that corporate 
cumulative compounding interest of the people of God, when we move in unity, I will promise we become a threat to the enemy and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, Jesus said, will not prevail. Number three is this, the practice of fasting adds fuel to the power of prayer. I can't explain it, nobody can. Theologically, biblically, why? We don't know why. We know Jesus taught that some demonic comes out only through prayer and fasting. In some way, fasting, the practice of fasting adds fuel to the power of your prayer. When you decide, I'm going to say no temporarily to a physical craving of my body, to say yes to a deeper spiritual need and focus on that need spiritually, even if it means fasting from a need I have physically in some capacity, it adds fuel to the power of our prayers. It was Elijah that prayed fire down from heaven as he stood against the prophets of Baal. He prays fire down from heaven, but you understand, before the fire fell, he had to prepare the altar. Fire does not fall on an unprepared altar. Church, listen, if you want the fire of God, you've got to become the fuel of God. You've got to become the altar of God. And I will promise when we are emptied of self, and that's what fasting does, we empty ourselves of self, I will promise the fire of God will fall. And that's what we need. The revival fire through the people of God being the fuel of God. As we get on the altar together, we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what I wanna do right now together, church. Would you stand with me right now? I wanna close in a time of prayer. Wherever you're watching from, would you just stand right where you are if you can? If you can't, God knows the posture of your heart. But there's power in a people united in purpose and in heart to push back the gates of hell, to shine the light of God in the darkness of our day. So together right now, let's pray. Jesus, this is our heart's desire to see an authentic, indescribable, yet undeniable move of God in our days. True heaven sent revival, Holy Spirit revival upon our land. And we claim the promise of Acts 1-8 where you said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And God in heaven, we desire to be a witness for such a time as this that thousands and thousands in the years ahead and ten thousands and ten thousands and thousands all over our city, all over our communities, all over our country would come to know you personally as Lord and Savior. Help us to shine the light of God into the darkness of our day. And we pray against the God of this age that blinds the mind of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. God in heaven, that you would bind our adversary personally and corporately as a body. And that the fire of God would fall. The fire of revival upon our land. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, give God the glory today. Would you praise him?
Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.